0: transformational, belated, unapologetic. Hi, everyone. You're listening to The Brave
1: Files, and I'm your host, Heather Vickery. Today, we are talking to one of my nearest and dearest, most incredible friends, Stevie Manns. And Stevie is this incredible energy human being that goes out and very unapologetically declares what is not acceptable to them. And who they are in the world without any boxes, parameters, or boundaries. We talk about living out loud no matter what and being a beacon of light for someone else in the world. We do dig in a little bit on some self-inflicted internal homophobia, which many folks can identify with. Remember, we are sharing only queer voices this month I'm so honored to share Stevie's story with you, especially from the perspective of somebody who worked in a very traditional male-dominated industry. So stick with us. We have a lot of fun in this conversation. I cannot wait to share it with you. Let's get started. We are so excited to be partnering with the Brown Cow Ice Cream Parlor to raise awareness and funds for Brave Space Alliance throughout this entire Pride Month. Brave Space Alliance is an organization that I personally hold very dear. They provide education and access-based programming for BIPOC, trans, and gender non-conforming individuals. Throughout the month of June, the Brown Cow is showing their pride with some really fun specials, including their famous seven-layer rainbow cake, rainbow frosted sugar cookies. These are my favorite cookies in the entire world. And they even have a unique Pride ice cream flavor that was conceived of and developed by their LGBTQ creamery manager. When you buy any of these Pride items, either in person or online, the Brown Cow will donate 20% of the sales to Brave Space and it gets better. If you mention the Brave Files podcast when you order, I will personally match that donation and the Brown Cow will match my match That means that by ordering delicious Pride treats and mentioning the Brave Files podcast, 60% of your order will go directly towards Brave Space Alliance. You'll find the brown cow in charming downtown Forest Park, Illinois, or you can order from them directly online at browncowicecream.com. Thank you for helping us celebrate Pride Month and make a difference in the LGBTQ community. You're listening to the Brave Files, where we share stories from people who've stepped out of fear and into bravery in every possible way. What we know for sure is that when we choose bravely on purpose, we choose bigger, we win bigger, and it's contagious. It's our hope that these stories connect with you and encourage you to embrace bravery in every possible way, day after day. Together, we can build a movement that enriches both our lives and our communities. The Brave Files is brought to you by Vickery & Co., a success and leadership coaching firm dedicated to helping you build a life and a business that you are absolutely in love with. Vickery & Co. offers group programs, membership communities, one-on-one coaching, VIP days, corporate trainings, workshops, keynote speaking, and so much more. Visit vickeryandco.com to get all the details. Hey, folks, you are in for a treat today because I have invited one of my favorite people in the entire world to join us today. This guest, this is my friend Stevie Manns, and it's just one of those things where we met and I, I can't speak for both of us, but for me, it was like instant electric meant to be friends. This is going down. I see you shaking your head, but no one else can see you. I'll I'll let you. Nodding, nodding, not shaking. No, yeah, nodding. nodding. Agreeing. It was an an agreeable (laughs) thing. (laughs) Sorry. Maybe that's a British, American, I don't know. Anyway, I invited Stevie here specifically for Pride Month. As you all know, we're celebrating only queer voices this month, which we celebrate queer voices a lot, but Pride Month representation matters. It matters because we are not equal. Uh, anywhere, but especially in the United States. And so this is about love and joy and celebration and pride and honoring one another and lifting one another up. And Stevie is such an incredible human being. Stevie always lives their truth, never takes anybody's bullshit and is the very first person to say, oops, you might want to fix that. It's even happened with me. And I actually love them for that. Thank you very much. Stevie, you came out As non-binary while working in a very traditional male-dominated industry. And you even started the company's trans ERG. Do I have that
0: right? I... No, not quite. Sort of, but not really. (laughs) At that that time, I was co-chairing the LBT Plus working group within the Pride Network. And then we, as part of that, said, hey, we actually need our own trans and non-binary group. And through that group, we then were able to change policies and benefits, which is not something that had been really looked at in much detail up until that point. That's fucking badass, though. I mean, so we don't have to say the name of the company
1: that you used to work for, but it was in the finance industry, uh, which is really not well known for supporting women, for equality, for any of those things. And to be able to actually move the needle, it's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I will say I did not do it alone. It was, it was a complete you know, team effort and there had been some policy changes, but not enough to the point where trans and non-binary people felt comfortable coming out.
1: They mm. were there,
0: but there was no community. And I think one of the things that we found was the trans and non-binary community not wanting to be part of the pride network because they didn't feel themselves represented in the pride network. Which was really disappointing. And I think for me, up until that point, you know, I had joined the network um, when I first arrived in New York and I had been part of the network in Scotland where I was working and living before then. So I was, you know, out as a lesbian in the finance industry in this company and previously in, an, in a different company. I had actually had a lot of pushback and homophobic comments made to me. So I was really hesitant to even come out at work. But I do remember in the first Pride Month I was there, The company had a wonderful plethora of resources and events for their Pride Month and one of which was a talk. I have no idea who gave this talk and, you know, this was years ago, but I do remember that the gentleman um, was talking about, you know, how we lose so much productivity. We lose 33% of our productivity by covering and hiding who we are at work if we're not out. I was blown away by that number. Wow, that's a big number. It's huge. And, you know, obviously as, you know, a company wants their employees, they don't want to, you know, be be losing 33% of efficiency from their employees because they don't feel comfortable at work. And as a person, I don't want to lose 33% of my efficiencies so that I, you know, because I'm already disadvantaged and I'm already not going to progress as quickly as your average straight white guy at mm-hmm. a firm like that, at a corporate investment bank. So for me seeing that number, I was like, oh, this is... I need to somehow deal with this in a way that works for me. And by joining the Pride Network as I had done and co-chairing things and getting involved and, you know, creating and designing the events that I wanted to see, then I was able to kind of really feel part of something. And then, you know, flash forward to when the non-binary and trans network was being created. You know, I had already been involved really quite heavily, but a lot of the people that were were trans the firm had either joined the firm or had come out fairly late on. So hadn't been part of it already. So I think I became quite a natural person to be a hub maybe for, for this Mm. group because I had the, I had the connections and I had the network within the pride network where I could, you know, go to the managing director or the head of this or that and say, Hey, this needs to change. We, you know, let, let's go and speak to the head of HR. Let's go and speak to the head of medical and talk about benefits. I already had those, connections and I was already plugged in. So it made a lot of sense for me to, to lead that group. So I was really proud of what we were able to do, but you know, I have to say while the industry and, and those companies are not known for being great, there are pockets that are very supportive. The HR department that I was working with were very supportive. And initially they said, Hey, you know, we don't think we can get this done for January, which would have been like this year because there's too much to change. And we were like, no, you have to, you absolutely have to. And that's when we called up the head of HR and the head of, you know, the chief medical officer. And then they did, they did it. Like, just to give you an example, so the kind of benefits that weren't covered were things like top surgery um, or like facial electrolysis. Um, There were certain, you know, things that, you know, vocal coaching for trans women, there were certain things that weren't covered that were really important, you know, even as far as mental health, it's it's hugely important that we are supported and have mental health and counseling and therapy and all of this yeah. and it's really really hard to find an lgbt therapist who is covered under insurance mm-hmm. so those are the kinds of things that you know we were we were trying to to get done i can't remember the entire list but it was it was a long list and a they big gave long us it. yeah yeah i think one of the things that i i see you glossing
1: over a little and this is your probably <laughs> your uh british humbleness At play, yes, you had those connections. Yes, you had already worked really hard on that. Because I know you so well, you also are tenacious as fuck. And when you see a need, a person in need, or a situation where you know that with a little tenacity you can create change, you're like a fucking honey badger. You're like, I'm going (laughs) to go in and fix this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but in all the right ways, the most lovable honey badger out there. <laughs>
0: Non-binary honey badger. <laughs> um, non-conforming honey badger. I like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I know you don't love, you're not one to brag on yourself, but I want to just acknowledge that people like you in our community, in the queer community are so important because so many folks just don't. They don't have that go get them tenacious gene that you have. And when they see it in you and they know, oh, this person. See, remember, I always say there are no safe spaces. There are only safe people. And when you so clearly come out of the gate as a safe person, it changes the space for everyone else. And and that's a gift you
0: bring. Well, thank you. I don't think it happened initially it's taken a long time for me to become this person and I think that I started I, I don't think I advocated for myself before mm. I think the last couple of years in terms of social justice really opened my eyes to a lot of things and the way that I advocated for others and the way that I ad- didn't advocate for myself I could so see that. I think that was that was a, a real you know self-checking moment of oh okay why am I not doing this for myself? And I think I certainly had a, a really, before I was even really aware of my own gender identity, I had a real connection and protect, I have a, I had a real protective feeling over the trans community. And I wasn't seeing a lot of trans people at work. I wasn't seeing a lot of trans people in, in sort of investment banking or the corporate sphere. <laughs> and I was like, they exist, you know, it, we they exist, and yeah. whether or not they feel comfortable. And I, I just you know, I got really angry. And then when I fir- when I mm. saw them, and I was like, they're here, and, and and I'm part of them, and we exist. I was like, well, this is shit. There's lots of there's <laughs> lots of stuff to fix here. And you know, I think there was a big part of it is that trans people are already having to deal with so much shit, mm-hmm. like they're having to deal with so much shit in terms of their own transness coming mm. out, all of the social aspects that come with that, all of the aspects that come with that, you know changing your gender at work, there're you know dealing with your colleagues, correcting them and then to to go into work and then have to change things it's so it's such an emotional burden and I felt that I just really wanted to help with that and spearhead some of these changes that were. We were behind, and I think what really oh, you got me on a you got me on my soapbox now. What really angry? <laughs> <me>? <laughs> I know I just decided to let you go. Like it just I just started to yeah. let you go. Just push a button. I think some of it <laughs> is that you know there is a corporate you know rainbow thing where they subscribe to all of the right things. You know they're part of the h they're part of HRC. They give do money. The they do yeah. They do the shit. yeah. And HRC says okay. Here you go. Here's a list of things that you know we ask you to do and we'll give you 100% on our checklist and you can put this on your website and there you go you're you're a great lgbtq+ plus ia employer all right. and what i found was hang on what hrc were actually asking of them was quite minimal yeah and you know all they had to do really was give some money and have a trans policy or and you know have have some have some some inclusive policies i'm probably i am being a bit Um, I'm being a little broad and general. I actually do really like the HRC, but I feel like they could ask more from corporates in terms of their policies. So if they, if anyone is listening, then do the, do the things. Yeah. HRC, we we want you to be listening. Okay.
1: So I'd like to go back if it's all right with you before you just indicated that you've come out twice. You came Mm. out as a lesbian, how old were you when you initially came out?
0: Well, I say twenty-one because that was the time when everyone knew. I mm. think I started when I was nineteen, and by the time I was twenty-one, everyone knew. And by that, I mean my mother. Um, <laughs> she's, she's always the last to know.
1: <laughs> Oops. Did you know before nineteen? Yes, of
0: course. I, you know, that. Listen. Yeah. I was at a conservative boarding school. <laughs> yes, I 100% knew. I just didn't, there was a lot of internalized homophobia. I didn't want to accept it of myself. I didn't want to be gay. Mm. It was just, you know, it was okay for everyone else, but it wasn't okay for me. And, you know, I knew from such a young age when I, I, I remember my first crush and I must have been, I don't know, five years old. And it was my babysitter whose name was Melanie, but I couldn't pronounce that. And I called her Lemony. I love um, that. Yeah. Um, she was too old for you. Yes. <laughs> Not anymore. No, I'm kidding. Oh, um, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so teasing, I'm happily married. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> you know, and I started to, to notice other crushes that I was having, and they were often on um, teachers. I think I remember having a crush on my mm-hmm. music teachers and then subsequently like a tennis coach. And I was a mature only child. So I would often, you know, I don't know, chat with some of the, the adults or the old, the older kids a bit, a bit more. So I, I certainly knew that, you know, I, I, maybe I was confused, I think, because I didn't know if I admired them or if I, if I mm. fancied them and in hindsight, yeah, I fancied them. You know, that's very
1: similar because I didn't, I didn't know until I was in my thirties and I didn't come out until I was in my late thirties. Um, mm. And you know, that story and most of the listeners I know do. that story, but I always tell folks that because of the way women talk about one another, Oh, she's so mm. hot. Oh, she's... I just didn't know until I knew that the way that felt inside of my body was different than the way it felt inside of a straight woman's body. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't get it until I got it. I was like, wait a minute, hold on. Okay. So at 19, you came out to yourself, you started coming out. You had this, as you just described it, sort of self-inflicted internal homophobia, which is really, really, Mm. really common that I love and support everyone else, but gosh, that can't be me.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But you did it anyway, because it is you and you're wonderful. How did that go? How did coming out the first time go? Because I guess where I'm going with this is what I have observed is that in the end it's much easier to come out as gay or lesbian or even bi than it is to come out as trans or gender non-conforming.
0: I In both both times, I had a paralyzing fear. I remember at the time, my dad had not long split up from his second wife, um, evil stepmother incarnate. And (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have one of those. Oh, yeah, they're great. Um, he went through, I I call it the, a God phase. You know, he, he went through a phase of, you know, going to church and all that stuff. And I was panicking about coming out to him a little bit because I thought, oh, you know, God and stuff. Don't accept God. God and his people, all of his people, <laughs> his lovely people. Depending um, on which part of the church I, you're in, I, yeah, I'm like, people. lovely, maybe. I don't yeah. know. I went to Catholic Church recently for a, a funeral, and oh my God, it was terrifying. <laughs> That's yeah. another story. Um I thought I, it was it was something else I'd never yeah, anyway. um so i was I was scared about telling my dad, uh, the first family member I told was my grandfather, and he was wonderful, and he just he he was so cute, and he was like, oh, okay. He's, well, I uh, I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure I get it, but I love you, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I was like, oh, great. okay, cool. And he, I said, what do you think about Dad? And he said, oh, no, he'll be fine. Um, and Dad was fine, and he was very supportive. I mean, he's he's a man of few words, but he was he is supportive and he loves me very much, and he shows me that. My mother, on the other hand, didn't uh, I was absolutely scared that she would throw me out uh, for good reason. And in fact, when I told her, her response was, is this because you can't get a boyfriend?
1: Oh, Jesus.
0: Whilst it's somewhat somewhat funny, it's not supportive. And I will say, I think the only reason I was not thrown out was because she thought I was doing it to act out to her. Yes. Um, she thought it was a phase. She continued to tell people it was a phase for years, actually. So she, so we've we've had. I mean, we have a difficult relationship. I'm sure she'll never listen to this podcast. I don't think she knows what a podcast is. And coming out as non-binary, that I I feel like that was harder. But I'm not sure because I, I've had so, so so much distance between it. So I came out as non-binary when I was. Hang on, i turned 37 last year, and so I came out sometime in May, so I would have been 36. So there were, you know, 15 plus years between coming out and I was absolutely terrified. Um, it took me two years to do it. I started, I actually went to therapy for something completely unrelated as it turned <laughs> out. Um, and that really was the start of my gender journey. And I picked a trans therapist very specifically. I'd actually had a couple of panic attacks, um, and when I started working with her, we started to talk about maybe why I wanted to see a trans therapist and how, you know, I w- was dressing a particular way. And part, one of the, the reasons that I went to therapy was that I had been sexually assaulted at a Christmas party. At a work Christmas party. Yes. At a work Christmas yeah. party, which is another reason we're not mentioning the name of the firm that I worked for. But if you know me, then unfortunately you will know. So I was I was sexually assaulted at this, this, this Christmas party and it threw me for a loop because I look the way that I do. and Which is fucking fabulous, for the record, the way you look. Thank you very much. But I don't, I feel I look 100% queer. Sure. You do. I I feel, I think I do. You were
1: assaulted by a white man, right? Yes. Uh, (laughs) They don't care. I don't understand that. He saw you as a woman and as someone that he could prey on. That should want him you should want him
0: of course why why yeah. i mean why right why not but it it really confused me because and that was sort of the first time that it not that it had happened obviously i just mean in terms of attention from men but maybe attention from men that was that aggressive since i had started to dress the way that i did since i'd had my hair cut shorter um i i was very confused by the whole thing and it prompted you know some older issues to come up and then we spoke about my gender presentation and what that meant to me and when I delved into gender and gender identity plus the presentation and and started to break it down and what did it mean to me and for me I realized that you know male female that's just ridiculous why do we have these two options and why do I get treated one way or the other depending on which box I'm in? I just now, felt it was absolute question. bullshit. And it is bullshit. It 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 is a construct and it's a you know patriarchal construct. It's colonialism. There's a lot in it when you really <laughs> dig into it. And I was like, oh, this yeah. and it was like my eyes were opened, Pandora's box was opened, and there was no way I could put it back in the box. And mm. When we kept going into it and, and at the time my name was not Stevie and my trans therapist asked me, and I, I, the reason I bring up that she's trans is, is it was great to have these conversations with her. yeah, And anyway, I, I almost felt a bit guilty because I didn't want to kind of ask her these questions as somebody who was trans, but it was so, I felt seen and I felt mm-hmm. that she could give me her experience back in a way that was not intrusive. But she asked me, you know, had I... had I, She asked me some questions that I, I was scared to ask myself and she sort of pushed me just a little bit, not too much. And she certainly never pushed me down a road that I didn't want to go down. She asked me if I wanted to go by any other name. And I remember there was a character on a TV show that I love, Madam Secretary, oh, Tia Leone, <laughs> called Stevie. And I was like, oh, I really like that name. And while Stevie herself was quite a feminine character... I felt that it was the perfect kind of gender neutral name for me. And so that was sort of the first part of it. And we, she only, only she called me Stevie. And then we, I I branched out. I I went on a vacation, like a sports, you know, vacation. It was like a, a boxing retreat. And I tried that name with, with these people. And I realized though, that whilst it was great to be called Stevie and everyone, like people just knew me as Stevie from the outset it didn't change how they saw my gender. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, this isn't, that's not enough. It's not enough to be called Stevie because people still don't see me for how I see myself. And then talking about how I felt coming out, I was paralyzed that I I wouldn't be lovable. Like that was the real fear. And I think actually, you know, for many LGBTQ people, even when they're just coming out with their sexuality, it's still a, who's going to love me? Or will my family still love me? You know, these are like it's it's that sort of foundational question. And I remember I had I had some unresolved feelings for somebody, and I felt that if it were to be resolved in a positive way, as in us getting together, this would not be something like them, like me coming out as non-binary, they couldn't love me as that. Like that was sort of the one thing. And I think once I ended that situation which was never really a situation. Once I once I ended that in my head, I was like, I don't need that person's approval. The only person's approval I need to do this is, is me. And if that person mm-hmm. isn't going to love me for who I am, then it's not the right person for me anyway. So why, why am I yeah. even focusing on this? And I found that, and you and I have talked about this, but I found that when I said at work, hey, I want to come out as non-binary and I I started to say out loud the things that I would not accept. My life completely changed. Mm. I met my wife. um, Mic drop. Mic drop. I I met my wife. I completely changed careers. I now have my dream job. And I, for me, I I feel like all of this is tied into accepting who I am and not just sort of coming out as non-binary. It's just being, being me. And it's, all you know all of the all of the wonderful things that have happened in my life really have have only happened because i did that and i'm still shocked
1: i love that when i said out loud the things that i would no longer accept
0: well that's that's, that's a quotable changed. moment isn't it
1: indeed it is my <laughs> dear indeed it is mm really, really powerful. I think for so many people in so many ways, so many reasons, so many communities, when we are able to say out loud what we are no longer willing to accept, everything changes. The people around us change. They change the way they interact with us,
0: but they change because we've changed. Mm. Yes. Yeah? And that is really, that, that's part one of the hard things because there are some people who don't accept it. And there are a number of people who have been jettisoned by their own choice, not because I've made mm-hmm. an ultimatum, but mm-hmm. because they couldn't understand mm-hmm. it, or they don't. They can't. Un, they can't understand it, and they don't want to. And they feel that I have changed, and I'm I'm not the person I was. And that's you know I, I how how can we you know who who are you? I don't even know that. I, who, do I even know you anymore? That's how they feel, and they have themselves. You know, either chose not to remain friends or in, you know, familial relationships with me as a result. And that that's hard. That is really, really hard. There have been some really long yeah. relationships that have disintegrated as a result, in some way or another, not necessarily directly, but indirectly, as well.
1: Yeah, it's hard and it's sad because you are still you. You're more you. And um, for anyone you know listening, I I, I just. I want to make sure, it's what I, I, one of the many things I love about you, Stevie, is just you, as you've gone through this process and gotten really clear with yourself, they can do what they're going to do, but again, what you're no longer willing to accept. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't change your truth. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that there aren't some times where it's particularly difficult, mm-hmm. but you stand really firm in that. I have a question that I... If I cross a line, Mm -hmm. I know that you will tell me. Sure. And um, I appreciate that. As someone who is super cisgender, I am all woman. Yeah, you are. I I wonder, how did you know that you weren't? And also, is it? is is this non-binary space a constant space or is it fluid where you sometimes feel more feminine, sometimes feel more masculine? To me, it feels like, I wonder if you, if you feel un, what's the word? I don't want to say uncomfortable because I think you feel incredibly comfortable, but like, does it matter that there's not an assigned gender? Like, is it fluid? I guess. I don't know how else to ask that question. I don't even know what
0: I'm asking. How did I know that I wasn't one or the other? Should we go there first? Yeah. We can go there first. I just knew that in some of the ways that I wanted to present, you know, I had always been, you know, prior to being non-binary, I was always a tomboy. Um, Mm. My mother loved to dress Mm -hmm. me up in fucking frilly things and lacy shit. And I (laughs) hated it. Not a fan. And I would much prefer to be running around the, the, the yard um, or the garden. If you're in the UK. Um, in cycling shorts and t-shirt uh and that was just who i was and i was you know sporty and all of that and like by all intents and purposes you we have given that type of child the term tomboy so that they you know kids can either grow out of it or lean into it and still accept their gender as female Mm -hmm. and you know i do remember dressing up at one point as a kid as a boy like, and not to say that I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I want to, to completely transition to male. I don't feel like that. And there, there are some reasons that I don't. I don't want to assume male privilege. Mm. Wow. Uh, you know, it's very, it's, it's hugely important to me, the experiences that I've had and how I have experienced life as a woman. I don't want to pass. It's, it's, it's kind of challenging because I don't want to pass as male. Would my life be a little bit easier? Probably. And yes, absolutely. Not even probably, absolutely. It would be. But I don't want to deny any of these experiences. And I want to, I I stand in solidarity with uh, women and non-binary folk. Not to say that there's anything wrong with being a trans man. It's just not how I feel. Yeah. That's not how I want to present myself. And that's not how I feel that my gender is. I do wear a lot of male clothing. By all accounts, I shop in the male section. But, you know, I think you are so dapper. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I I've kind of joked around and I've said to some people almost in a way that they can understand it is, you know, I feel like sometimes I dress as a gay man. Yes, that's accurate. Yeah, and it's really to me that sort of encompasses for some people they understand that to mean femininity and and, and masculinity. For me that for just sure. means I'm stylish. But <laughs> but I get to wear the clothes that I feel most comfortable in and you know in a presentation that I feel comfortable in with a flair that I enjoy but you know I'm I'm still like I went to a wedding recently and it was the first time I had worn a tie this is so silly It was the first time I had worn a tie to a wedding and you know that was the most if you like masculine I had ever looked and I I I will say I don't identify as a butch lesbian. That was something that I had to really contend with. I was like, you know, is, is this thing about me? Is this, is this that I'm, is this, am I just butch and I don't want to be butch? Am I so homophobic about my own self that I don't want to be a butch lesbian? You are, you are not butch. Thank you. I'm, I'm like, I'm really
1: not. You are like really not <laughs> butch. We went hiking in Sedona and hiking might be too strong of a word for the thing we did but you were um, a stroll like <laughs> a light <laughs> stroll you were you were not having it you're like oh but there are rocks oh but there are bugs <laughs> you are not you are not butch
0: I mean but then again it's like you know how do you define butch do you define butch as somebody who's rugged and masculine and you know gets a bit dirty or what is butch so. a style and I think it's you know we have this is what I mean you know we have all of these boxes ah. and what are we what are we doing with them? Well, clearly
1: we don't need all of the boxes and assumptions are shit. But when I think of someone butch, I do think of behavior yes. more than attire and style.
0: For the record, I now have a, a, a flick knife or a pen knife thing. It was a gift. <laughs> but I do feel very rugged okay. and I can, I can do things when I need to, like open boxes. But <laughs> but you open know, my one Amazon of the things boxes. that I...
1: Exactly. One of the things that I so enjoy about you is you just claim whatever you want to claim. Like, I know you love the look in your plaid and your hiking boots. However, you intend to go to the bar and have a very beautiful, (laughs) fancy cocktail in them and not go chop wood. And that's just wonderful. And it just takes all of these preconceived notions and shoves them right up everybody else's ass.
0: I just don't think you know, we need to be defined by gender and gender stereotypes at all. I I just don't think they serve anybody except straight white guys. I agree. So, yeah, I I just don't see a point in it. And recognizing that in myself in terms of like when I was younger and how did I want to present? And now being older, how do I want to present? And do I identify with being a butch lesbian? No. Do I identify with being a trans man? No. I see gender as a spectrum and I... Identify along the spectrum of like one. Well, I think is I think gender is bullshit. I, and it's funny because I actually had rejected the term non-binary because I'm like that in a way is accepting that there is a binary, right? In an in a sort of meta abstract way, it is not. It is probably one of the more understandable terms for people. Gender non-conforming is almost synonymous with non-binary, but not quite. Not quite. So it's it's easier to kind of say non-binary you think for the benefit of other people um but i do think that gender is on a spectrum and in terms of the way that i identify and like to present yeah i will i i wear makeup i don't wear a lot of it don't get me wrong but you know i'm i'm vain enough that i want to you know put some foundation on and a little bit of you know bronzer but i will also wear my suits and you know my fancy shoes and and look a bit dapper and i that's that's just how i i feel comfortable
1: i love that i love it and i love you so all right let's switch gears just a little bit you mentioned a little bit ago, that when you had that aha moment of what I'll no longer accept, you you quit your job and you leaned fully into something that up until then had only been a passion, mm. which was podcasting. Uh, you are this incredible example of left brain right brain working together. I mean, you are you are a numbers a finance part like you are a nope. Let's check off the box. Let's make a little list. Kind of person, but also you're so type A. (laughs) You're super type A, but you're also incredibly creative. You're a singer songwriter. I think this is cool about you. I don't know if the rest of you are as wild by this as I am, but when I found out you had your own
0: Spotify channel, I was like, that's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) I remember we were in the car driving to Sedona and you were like, where can I listen to your music? And I was like, I don't know, Spotify. And you were like, what?
1: I said, I would love to hear your music sometime. And you went a little cocky because you got a lot of swagger, Stevie. You went, uh, (laughs) you want to listen to it right now? (laughs) And I said, Oh, how do we do that? And you're like, just pull up Spotify. I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not letting that slide. because You're you're like, yeah, I'm fucking cool. It's good. Well, you know, (laughs) Anyway, um, how did you get into podcasting? And you you're you have several podcasts. Let's quickly talk about what they are and how you got into it. And now you're fully like your full-time job is podcast producing. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, back in the finance world, <laughs> which I think is really brilliant. Mm-hmm. But you've sort of created this reality for yourself. You you envisioned it, and then you just that's that tenacity of yours. You just were like, well, this is a, No
0: nothing else is acceptable. Mm. So how'd you get there? So the first podcast I started was a music podcast. And when I first moved over to New York, I was trying to get onto the music scene and I found it very challenging. The way that music works over here, it's a very sort of festival style format at venues. You play a show, then someone else plays a show, someone else, and so on and so on. And the way that it had worked anywhere else really was you know, you tended to stay and meet the people on after you and you met the people in the scene very quickly and very easily. A couple of people that I did meet, um, we were chatting about this problem and said, hey, why don't we start a songwriter's circle? So the three of us, we bring a few people each and then we sort of cross-pollinate our audiences. And we thought, that's a great idea. So we created this event series and we were doing this and we had artists come. And then we thought, "Hey." A great way to market this would be a podcast where we interview one of the artists about one of their songs, so that people who are coming to the show know what to expect. It's really hard to get New York. New Yorkers to part with their time and their money, so if they know mm-hmm. that they're going to enjoy it or that they're going to connect with an artist who's not the one they came to see, then they're more likely to come and come to the show. So that was how we started okay. that particular podcast, and it was brilliant for me in terms of connecting to people because I would I would just meet people that I wanted to meet have conversations and then sort of created this network of musicians which was awesome and I think that we probably started that around like 2018 and obviously in 2020 the pandemic happened I took that podcast weekly live on Facebook I burnt out after about eight months (laughs) which I think was pretty good going yeah because I was still doing this with a full-time 50 60 hour a week job wow in around a couple, you know, a few months since the pandemic, I remember it was June. I was reading Glennon Doyle's Untamed. Fabulous book. I'm a fan. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's a section in the book where a friend of hers is asking for advice and Glennon says, you know, what is the most, I think it's honest, authentic version of your life that you can imagine. I'm paraphrasing, but that's, that was what she said. And I put the book down thinking about my life as it is. Or was in finance and I thought it's not fucking this it just it's not mm-hmm. this and I'm and I was tied to that job I had I had a visa and I was 100% tied I couldn't even go to a different company I was stuck and I thought okay well put that to, let's put a pin in that for a second but if I were able to take a blank piece of paper right now and design my life what would it look like and I had never given myself permission to do that. Mm. So I thought, oh, this is interesting. And I thought, okay, well what do I really enjoy? And I think I'd probably just started my second podcast, which is a Star Trek podcast, just for fun. And I learned I've learned so much doing that in terms of sound design, you know, using music, creating sound effects, all of that stuff with my buddy Aki Ramesh who's in a wonderful band called Lexic Dive. And through doing that those two things together I thought oh this is this is quite fun I really enjoy doing this and then I thought okay well how can I get more experience and, and figure out exactly what it is that I like about this because you know editing I, I don't love editing I'll be honest it's not my favorite part of the, no. the process um I do mm. it I love Andrew he's my podcast yes. editor shout out to Andrew engineer yeah but I I was like okay what is it that I enjoy about this and I thought I need to figure this out so I There's a a climate activist in the UK. Her name's Lizzie Carr, and I love Lizzie. She's wonderful. And I'd actually seen her first when she came to America, and she paddled down the Hudson River in New York to raise awareness for plastic pollution in our waterways. And she she does a lot of that in the UK, but I think this was a big, you know, fundraiser and you know awareness drive. And it was prior. It was it was actually before Greta Thunberg did did something. So, and and I think actually Lizzie was the first person to have paddleboarded down the Hudson. And so I had been watching her for a couple of years and I reached out to her and said, hey, do you have a podcast? Because I would love, I just, I love what you're doing. And I think there's a lot of people who would be really interested. And she said, oh, it's funny you, and she, she wrote me back and she said, it's funny you say that. She said, I'm actually starting one, but I don't have anyone to manage it. And I said, oh, that's funny, isn't it? (laughs) I would like to manage it. (laughs) I I could do that for you. So we started working together. We did two seasons together and she had a baby. So she's taken some time off. But I loved working with her. And I think I I realized from working with Lizzie that what I really loved was was the creative direction. Like Mm. I loved working. One, I love working with somebody and I like... Lizzie is so wonderful and like, and was quite nervous about becoming a podcaster. And I was like, no, you're really good at this. You know what you're talking about. So she has this wonderful podcast where she's she's talking to changemakers, whatever field that they were in, and it usually had a sustainability aspect to it. And I loved speaking with her about, oh, you know, who should we get on? And she was really thoughtful about the guests that she would have on in terms of diversity, and diversity of thought, but also sort of diversity of topics. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is great. And I got really fired up about it. And I thought, this is this is what I want to do. I want to produce. I don't necessarily want to edit. If editing's part of it, that's fine. But I thought I want to produce. And so I got myself into the all of all of the groups on Facebook, whether it was editors, whether it was producers, whatever. And then um, Heather, I'm I went to She Podcasts Summit in 2021 and fell in friend love with when me he fell in friend love with you <laughs> and met so many wonderful people at that event not just yourself yeah
1: no I know amazing
0: group of people yeah shout out to our desert dogs and met so many great people who then sort of hooked me up to this other sort of like independent audio producers group which I then joined which was wonderful for me and then I, I you know paused that for a second so that sort of was all starting to happen uh, my wife and I got married and that allowed me to quit my job, pursue a green card, and then pr- really pursue that career change full time. I was luckily able to leave that job with a bit of severance behind me, which allowed me to have a bit of a cushion in terms of that career change. Um, you know career change is very hard. And if you're going to you know go to go from a salary to absolutely zero, it's you know if you don't have savings, it's it's really tough. and <laughs> um i was I was able to negotiate yeah. and secure that um, you know, hope that I got a job. And it was really jumping off a cliff because I didn't know whether I would get a a job. I didn't know if I was going to be, you know, a gig producer. I didn't know if I, if I I was going to do seasons, if I was going to pitch episodes to, to like the NPRs or 99% Invisibles or, or whoever, like, I just didn't know what was going to happen. And luckily and I, yeah, and I shit you know, Heather, I applied for a hundred jobs, more than. Oh, I know. I remember. Because I'm so type A, I kept a spreadsheet of it. <laughs> of course <Yeah>. you did.
1: But <laughs> I remember really loving watching you do, because you are so type A, and you like to have answers, and the unsureness of it all was incredibly mm. stressful for yeah. you. It was really fun. That maybe isn't the right word to use, but to watch you... Lean into the unknown and surrender anyway, to still show up and push through and not give in and go back to a, the old type of job you had or walk away from that dream despite the discomfort and the fear. Mm-hmm. And it was like a daily struggle for you.
0: I called Heather from mantras. <laughs> we did. We talked you about mantras. What am I going to do? What if it doesn't happen? <laughs> oh my god! And you were wonderfully supportive. And I know that you know, for you doing what you you what you do as an entrepreneur for life you know, you have these stresses, but you somehow Mm -hmm. managed to survive with it. And I was, I just, it was too, I didn't know how to do it. And it was such a a learning experience for me. Yeah. But you
1: did it and you, and you now have this new job podcast producing for another financial Mm -hmm. organization. Uh, but you also have, are you still, I don't, I should have checked this with you. You're producing a podcast out of Ukraine. Yes, I am, which I think is so incredible. Do you want to quickly share with folks how that happened and what it is so they can go and listen and support?
0: Sure. So it's called Fighting for Ukraine. And um, I think it was around March 18th or March 19th. uh, This Ukrainian journalist, whom I had seen be interviewed within my community of producers, he reached out to the group and said, Hi, you know, my name is Yuri, I am a journalist in Ukraine um, turned civilian soldier. I'm looking for some help. Um, you know, I can, I can do a story every day. You know, I wonder if anyone can help me. And I wrote back to him and said, cause I was just like, this is a podcast. This is 100% a podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what it is. And I said, Hey, I think this is a podcast. You know, I think I could help you. And I didn't, I didn't really know how much what I you were would, getting into Kind of. Yeah. um, mm-hmm. But I said, hey, I could I could set I was like, hey, I could set this up for you. And then you could just go from there. But no, obviously it was it's it was it's a bit more involved than that. For the most part, it is just editing now. But we were able to, you know, Yuri, I, I said, Hey, do you want to do this? And Yuri put so much trust in me and said, Yep, let's do this. We came up with a name. I came up with some cover art very quickly from him sending that email to us getting it out on Apple Podcasts. We did it the same day. I think we we had I done remember. it remember five PM that day. Well, we ran a, a trailer. That's months right.
1: ago. Your very first trailer, just as you were coming out with the show. So it's very short, right? Just mm-hmm. a few minutes each day, just yep. what is happening on the ground in Ukraine.
0: It's not even I mean, it's it's less about it's not it's not news updates. It's just stories from Yuri about mm. what he's encountering day to day. Like if it were news updates, I don't think it would be as engaging. But Yuri is telling stories about people he's meeting, or whether it's encounters with Russian soldiers or the aftermath of encounters with Russian soldiers. Some of sometimes it's it's a really hard listen. There were yeah. one or two that I've put warnings on, um, but you know he really puts you there with him, and it is it's an experience for a you know a wartime diary that I've never come across before. Um and it is it is so unique.
1: Yeah. I just love that you took on that project and that you're helping him share his voice uh and and give truth to this Ukrainian experience. Mm. It's really lovely. All right. Well we could obviously and have talked for hours and days, uh, but you know, mm. podcast episode, we can't go on and on and on. I have never asked you this question. And so oh. I'm really excited okay. to hear your answer. I, I have theories, Stevie. How do you celebrate? Celebrate what?
0: Like my birthday, successes, wins, joy, anything. I'll be honest. I'm not great at it.
1: Um, mm-hmm. I think I've I become. Knew that.
0: I know you know that. Um, <laughs> oh, you're so annoying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so witchy like that. Um. Oh. Honestly, I have become better since getting married, actually. And I think, and again, it's that sort of advocating for others. I think I, um, I I try, I I try to be a good spouse and celebrate my wife when she has a win. And I think, you know, and in turn, she's so great at celebrating me and celebrating with me that, it, you know, it makes it easier. And I think not that you need to have somebody else to do that, but I think, you know, maybe I'm, I'm a bit, sometimes, you're right, you say I'm left and right-brained, you're right, but I think sometimes I'm just a bit dense and I don't know how to, you know, be a bit normal. A little British about it? A little British, yeah, absolutely. I think I don't, you know, when I say that I didn't advocate for myself previously, that's 100% true. I think I didn't think I was worthy of Mm. that. And I think there are things now that I'm I'm relearning as I'm in some ways reparenting myself about how to mm. love myself better. So mm. how's that? I'm, I'm working, I'm working on it.
1: I love this question. Uh, and it's particularly fun to ask for folks that I know, because I can tell you one of the ways that you celebrate, whether or not you've acknowledged that it is a way you celebrate is that you text our friend group. That's true. You referenced our desert dogs and you say this wonderful thing happened. And, what is so amazing about celebration and gratitude being shared is it then goes into this wonderful echo chamber of people celebrating with you yeah. all across the country. Then people's little heart centers are getting more lit mm. and they're taking that out into the world. Yep. So you do that.
0: Stevie, will you share your three words with us one last time? Transformational. And, you know, that's in relation <laughs> to me being non binary. And some of the other changes that have come before. Yeah, belated because mm, fucking was. (laughs) But at the same time, you know, I I say belated and I think there's a, and I just want to explain these words, but I say belated because there's a part of me that's irritated with myself that it's taken this long, but it needed to take this long. So I think sometimes I want to recognize that it took a long time, but in recognizing that, I think I know that it needed to. Yes, everything happens at its perfect time. And the last is unapologetic because now that I'm here I'm like I'm here and I'm queer and we're doing Yes. It. I love it.
1: I love it. You are unapologetic and and in such a in control way that doesn't make others feel judged, it just makes them aware. And I think it's a real gift. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: All right, last question. What is your favorite charitable organization mm. to support? Oh, it changes. But currently, I will say it is the TMI project, as that is something that I'm currently working on as their editor prior to starting my new job. Um, the TMI project is an LGBTQ organization founded by David Tenuto and Julie Novak. Um, they're doing some wonderful work. They have a, a an incredible podcast called the TMI Project Podcast, and. You know, I was just editing their first episode today and it was with Celeste Lassane, who was the founder of the Trevor Project. Oh, cool. And so it was wonderful to hear that story. Then they also created a, an event where they invited people to share their stories who had been saved by the Trevor Project. So, yeah, I think they're doing some really, really impressive work. And if you are considering donating to anyone during the month of Pride, there are numerous of organizations. Yeah. But um I'm sure the TMI Project link uh, will be in the show notes so it would be wonderful if you would support them it will be and they will be our charity of the week
1: as well (laughs) (laughs) oh my friend thank you for agreeing to be here and spend some time with me and sharing your just you it's such a beautiful radiant light of hope for everyone that
0: you exist in the world thank you that is so kind heather thank you it is you know you were right. When we met, it was this amazing electric friend connection. And you just exuded something that I saw in myself. And I loved the the light that you have and the energy that you you give to other people and how much you want to give back to the world and, and others is very special. Mm-hmm. And I'm very uh, grateful to be, you know, someone you you, you love and Cherish. I have all the feelings. (laughs) Thank you, Stevie. Thank you so much. All right, folks,
1: that's all we've got for today. Um, We want to hear, I want to hear, everyone at Team Brave wants to hear your stories of how you are out living unapologetically. And I love the prompt of what are you no longer willing to accept? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Why don't you share that with me? You can find us on Instagram, at the brave files podcast and uh, send a dm and let us know what is there for you what are you no longer willing to accept thanks for listening thanks for being here we'll talk to you soon this is heather vickery reminding you today and every single day to go out and choose bravely bye now you've been listening to the brave files stories of people living courageously visit us at the bravefilespodcast.com to learn more about the show Find our show notes and access full episode transcripts. And we'd love to know what you think of the show. We invite you to connect with us via Instagram and send a DM. You'll find us at the Brave Files podcast on Instagram. Our music was created and produced in a custom collaboration with Matt Lewis from ML Creative Consulting, a boutique firm dedicated to helping clients identify their unique sound and amplify their brand with custom delivered soundtracks. Special thanks to everyone on Team Brave, from our audio engineer to our producers, associate producers, copy editors, writers, and support team. The show wouldn't exist without them, and we are eternally grateful. I'm your host and executive producer, Heather Vickery. Thanks for tuning in.